Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. The Team Never Quit podcast is sponsored by Navy Federal Credit Union. Make a plan to do away with high-interest credit card debt by transferring your balance to a Navy Federal credit card. With a low intro APR and no balance transfer fees, you can pick the right card to help you save more. Check out NavyFederal.org for more information. All right, everybody, welcome back to the TNQ Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Luttrell. Every week, it's my job to fire you up, to ignite the legend inside of you, and to push you to your greatness. Join me every week as I take you into my briefing room with some of the most hard-charging people on the planet. They're going to show you how to embrace the suck of life, teach you the values of working your ass off, and charge through whatever life throws at you. This is the Team Never Quit Podcast. So buckle up, buttercup. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Team Never Quit Podcast. So excited to be back yet another week dropping episodes. If you guys haven't already, you make, you got to make sure you're subscribed on YouTube because we're dropping videos now every freaking week and they're awesome. People have given us great response. And Patreon. I got to talk about Patreon for a second. If you don't know what Patreon is, if you never heard me talk about it, it's essentially like an exclusive community of the Team Never Quit fans who just want to get some exclusive extra access to the show. We have bonus content. We have exclusive merch. It's a lot of fun. One of the cool things we do, though, is we allow our Patreon members to ask questions. And so let's kick it off with a Patreon question. Brandon asks, what's one thing you've taught your kids and you've seen them use in real life? Yeah, that's a great question. What's one thing I've taught my kids and I've seen them use in real life? So, um... We talked a little bit about this before the show kicked off. I'll be 44 on February 1st, and my kids are young. I've got a nearly four-year-old daughter and a one-year-old son. And so uh, with my daughter, one thing I've taught her and I've seen her use is to stand up for herself. You know, I, I didn't want to have a daughter that that basically laid down and let people walk all over her. You know, I, I want her to be able to, to be strong and confident and stand up for herself. And so we practice that as much as we can because she's so young and I see her um, act that way with her little brother. And then also with kids at school, like if somebody's messing with her, she's not going to take that guff, you know, and I've, I've been happy to see that so much so that I'm a little concerned that maybe she could be going overboard at this point, you know, so I have to kind of pump the brakes a little bit, but I, but I really like um, especially for a daughter to, to teach her that, that life lesson. That's awesome. I think ours is uh Probably bad words. We always, I mean, since they were. Wait, I thought I was proud to see them. No, no, no. Like Just one thing were, you taught them. That's what you said. <laughs> no, like. That was a question. Right? I was like, no. bad words. I love no, it. No, Where's no, this going? No. I want that to be made publicly right, no. right, right there because we're I, not people think I'm the sealer. Words. We are, t- we point out bad words and we tell them not to use them. 
We don't teach them oh, that word. Oh, my God. No, that was funny. You walked, come on. <laughs> okay, I walked into that. You did. You so, totally walked right into that one. It was I, awesome. We always point, even since they were two and three, we'd point out bad words. And we would say, don't say that. That's a bad word. That's a bad word. Anytime they heard it on the radio or on TV or whatever, or if we even said it, if Marcus said it or I said it, we would call each other out on it. And so now that they're eight and nine, if anybody says it, if we're in public or anywhere, they'll look at them. That's a bad word. You're not supposed to say that. My most proud moment is, so I actually trained my kids to be Navy SEAL ninjas in between. I started at a very early age identifying colors so and, and people and numbers. So when I would drop them off at school, on the way to school, we would talk and kind of I would go over... Uh, what president's on what dollar bill? What bone is this? How many bones are in your body? This was most random questions. And then as they would come home, I was like, who's the first person you saw? What were they wearing? Because I would see that too. And I would, I would ask if they would remember it. And, it's, and, and then if they got it wrong, I was like, okay, we're going to go over it again. And we would just, so it literally became so much of a, of a game type kind of good time to me doing that. I kind of, the father thing, I get that, and, and the dad thing, but I literally train mine for that. I'm like, what did you see? What happened right there? How did they react? And then I see them react that when, when I'm not looking. They, or they, can't, they don't see me sitting there. So I do that daily. And the greatest joy of that is just being, if you go deeper than that, is being a parent. Because every time that they grow, and with us, man, we can't help it. Because as soon as we get bored, we're going to look to do something. And then if you have those kids there, man, that's just something to do. <laughs> right, you always got. You can always teach them something, so that's that's fun. Melly and I have a blast with. Oh yeah, we have a blast with myself. Yeah, yeah, they do. I mean, they're looking at everything and observing. They go into a room and they scan it and try and break everything. Because Melly and I have our own codes and patterns, and then I'll hear the I'll be with the kids, and they'll do something like, "Where the hell did you learn that?" And I'm like, "Mom," and I'm like, "Oh, all right, well, that's good. All right, cool. I, you know that that deal." So we we it started with us. Just so, because that's how we learn how to be together uh, and and do all this. It's been a lot of fun. That is cool. I, I, I'm going to take that, teach my kids that same thing. That's, that's great. <laughs> Appreciate that. Because that's how we're made, bro. I mean, I, I didn't know any better when we got out. I was like, well, how are you going to do this? I was like, well, I guess I'll, if if, the, if we can operate in, in, in like the way we do, kind of deal and how much fun we can have with it, then I, if I can keep that mentality, which it's hard, but I try. that's what I try to do. I love it. One thing I was thinking about when my kids get a little bit older is to help them understand how to negotiate. You know, I was going to put them in a, if they wanted something or they wanted, you know, dad, I want to go hang out this weekend with my, my friends, or my buddies or whatever. We want to go on a camping trip, whatever it might look like. I wanted to kind of put them in a mock court scenario where they had to be a lawyer. They have to be a lawyer and sort of convince me that it's a good idea to let them do what they want to do. But they got to be a little bit older for me to get get into all that. <laughs> That's awesome. Brandon, thank you so much for asking that Patreon question. If you want to ask a question to our guests, to the hosts, make sure to join us, patreon.com slash teamneverquit. Hey, guys, we've got a great guest in store today. Jason Van Camp is an exceptional guy, not successful just because of his personal accomplishments, but his will to win and his unique ability and willingness to unlock the potential of others. A decorated Green Beret and world traveler, Jason has mastered the art of storytelling, Jason is the founder and chairman of Mission Six Zero and the author of Deliberate Discomfort. Welcome to the show, Jason. Thanks for having me. It's an honor to be here. Looking forward to this. So you got to take us back. You got to. Okay. So obviously, this show is all about the never quit story. But why don't you take us back and kind of tell us how you got your kind of start before you wrote this book, before you went to the Green Beret? Just take us way back. 
first off, I believe that if you never quit, you never fail. And that's sort of been um, a rule that I've lived by in my life. I grew up in Virginia, uh, right outside Washington, D.C., kind of in that area. And you know, I played a lot of sports growing up. That's sort of what I did. And I was pretty good at, at uh, football. And, you know, I ended up getting an opportunity to go play football at West Point. Just like you asked, man, I'm going to back this. I'm going to jump in. So siblings or, or and is your family military? Because if a lot of people at, or wonder about that, guys who turned out down the road that we had, do did, was your is you have a history of uh, military in your family or, or do you have brothers and uh, sisters? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So my dad uh, was drafted in Vietnam and he was a specialist in the Signal Corps. And my mother was, um, she worked for Delta Airlines as a supervisor. Uh, my mother passed away when I was, when I was younger. Um, my dad, he had an interesting experience in the military. Um, the way that he tells it is, uh, right after basic training, they, uh, they brought in all the guys and they, in the army and they said, we need some volunteers. And, and, you know, like, you know, unless you're a dumbass, number one rule is you don't volunteer for anything, right? Like you just kind of don't do that. <laughs> Nobody you know? knows that. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the best piece of advice probably you could actually give to everybody going in. <laughs> yeah, just just be cool. You know, you don't have to volunteer. Well, my dad volunteered. He raised his hand and they, they selected him and they told him, we're going to send you instead of to Vietnam, we're going to send you to Virginia Beach where we're going to train you up on this state of the art technology called computers. And, uh, and back in those days, it was a big refrigerator looking computer with punch cards, you know? And so they, um, he went there and he learned how to do that. And then he was, uh, he was stationed in Paris, France for a few months, uh, during the Vietnam uh, war. And while he was there on, on furlough on leave, he and a couple of buddies went to Paris to, to have a good time. And they got absolutely trashed and they tried to drive back. They ended up get into a terrible car accident where everybody in the vehicle died, except for my dad, who was sitting mm. in the back. Uh, he broke his back and, you know, got messed up pretty significantly. Um, and they let him out of the, the, the military. He came back to Washington, DC, became a bartender for a while. And then he ended up um, working as a government employee at the Pentagon. Um, and then also at the, uh, the AMC building. So that's what he did growing up. And whenever I asked him, what do you do, dad? Like, you know, you, for school, they asked us what our dad does. And I always just said he works for the government. And that's all he told me. So I didn't really ever know what he did. But that was pretty common in Northern Virginia. You know, a lot of military families, a lot of families whose father, mother worked for the government. And you didn't really ask any other questions than that sort of thing. Oh, and then I have a, I'm, a, I'm the oldest. I've got a younger brother and a younger sister. Any of them been in the military? No. Well, yeah, I guess, yes. My grandfather on my mother's side, he uh, was in World War II. He was in the Army Air Corps, which later became the Air Force. And uh, he retired as a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force. But sibling-wise, uh, though, you're the only one that went in? Yeah. Yeah. My brother um, didn't go that route and neither did my sister. Just just me. Just me, brother. Nice. Okay. So you were good at football. You're in Virginia. Take us yeah, back to that time. And, uh, and uh, I was thinking, I was like, man, I'm going to go play some serious Division One football. You know, I, I got some letters from the University of Miami and Florida State, and they, they came to see me. And they're like, you know, you're, you're on the smaller side, man. Like, 
linebacker, you're only 190 pounds. Like, look at the guys that we're recruiting. They'll show us pictures of like LeVar Arrington, who's like 6'4", 260, you know. And um, and I, I got recruited um, by a number of smaller schools and West Point Naval Academy, Air Force Academy, places like that. And, um, you know, my parents were super excited about the, the possibility of me going to West Point. And, uh, and I decided to go there, man. So I went to West Point, um, made that decision as an 18-year-old, didn't know what I was getting myself into. And um, when I got up there, I had a terrible experience, man. It was just, it was not for me, you know, I had to stick it out. And uh, I left after my sophomore year to serve a mission for my church and I went to Russia. And so I went to St. Petersburg and, and all around there for two years, came back to the States, um, played some football again at West Point, finished up my career there, and then um, was commissioned an officer, second lieutenant. And when I was at OBC, 9-11 hit. And uh, that's when things got serious, you know. And for me at that time, I was like, you know, we're no longer a military, an army that's training. You know, I'm, I'm no longer going to be uh, evaluated on my PT scores, essentially. Like, we're, we're actually going to combat. We're going to do some things. And if we're going to do that, I want to be at the tip of the spear. I want to be uh, somebody who can control my destiny and make, you know, strategic decisions and, and really help people. And so I volunteered to go to Ranger School and uh, went and did that. Had a blast. Loved Ranger School. It was awesome, man. I uh, was stationed in Korea for a little while, and then I went over to uh, – to Iraq with in the initial invasion. All right, hold uh, on, hold, hold on, man. Back up a second. First of yeah. all, nobody likes freaking Ranger School. I know you're full of shit. I'm 18 <laughs> Delta, bro. All right, I, I'm a bastard. So I understand yeah. Army talk and what that is. So back up just a little bit further, man. Where were you at when 9-11 went down? So I was... You uh, said something about you went to West officer. Point and decided to go away and then came back. So I had one of my officers do that, and he was a complete badass. But the story that had him leave was even better. I'm not going to get you to tell that story, all right? But the fact that you went, came back, and still made it in there is is a testament. I only know of one other guy who've do, who's done that. So good job. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Yeah, it was, it was tough, man. I'll tell you like West Point sucked for me, man. It was, it was not, it was like a bad marriage, you know, like it just wasn't for me. You know, I didn't, didn't click, man. I enjoyed the football guy, the guys on the team and, and everything else. Um, and we're brothers and, you know, football wise, we had some pretty hard seasons there. We weren't a winning football team. And then, you know, just being there was, was rough. Uh, for me. So I was happy to get out. And and to your point about Ranger School, man, I'll, I'll tell you 100% honest truth. Um, Ranger School is tough, man. It, it is. I don't care who you are. And there are some dark days. And those dark days, you know, I just reminded myself, you know, Jason, at least you're not at West Point. And that would get me through <laughs> that day, man. 
Oh, Teach his own. So, Teach no, his I get it, man. Know? Yeah, I had, I've had. i been in some schools where I felt the same way. For whatever reason, when you get locked in there, man, it's just pure misery. And there's some yeah. of them, man, you can kind of jettison through, and and it, it's all good. I remember that very vividly. It's crazy, too, because, man, you the first, it, it happens even as you go through it, the long, even while you're in. Like, some of them schools, man, just tough. Yeah, and it's just kind of also like who you're with. You know, if you're with a group of good dudes that are, you know, got your back and having a good time, time seems to move faster, you know, and you seem to have a better time. Um, that journey you're on, it's not about trophies, it's about it's about people and the journey that you take with those people, you the, know? They're the trophies, right? The journey is the game with you, that you do with them, right, and you capture them from that game. Absolutely. Because, exactly. I mean, there, there are times where it you knew that it was more miserable than anything you'd been in, but if the dudes you're with – I mean, it's not work if y'all are doing it together, having a good time. I, I always, man, when I would fall into that, that was, you want to keep those guys close. It's like, hey, no matter what we're doing, it doesn't suck. Yeah. It's, it's like, no, it's, it's, it's 100%. It, we're on board with yeah, that, it's, man. Hell it's, yeah. It's calamity and hilarity all mixed in one. The worst experience it is for you, the funnier story it is for everybody else, you know? There's no better way to say that. And there were times <laughs> where, bro, I was like, I would literally be, man, like, I, this is the time I need to quit. No one can be suffering like me. And then you roll your head over and see your buddy and he's got that, that face on. You're like, oh, yeah, that's funny because, you know, that guy is sucking it bad, man. Right. And just yeah. and, and the fact it's just the fact that we wouldn't leave each other. We had to sit through that. That's what create people. That's what creates that bond. And it's that it's like in our worst moments, man, we just kind of lay in there and we wouldn't walk up, walk away. Yeah. My buddy, Rusty Witt, he's a Green Beret, too, man. He's, just, he's a stud. You know, during training, there was a guy that was just uh, struggling, you know, and he was barely, barely making it, you know, and and uh, he sat, he did a rucksack flop, you know, and you guys understand what that is. And, you know, during one of the events and we're just sitting there feeling, feeling sorry for himself and talking about, I can't do this. I don't know if I should be here. I miss my girlfriend. I want to quit. And Rusty kind of leaned over to him and everyone was starving, you know, like they hadn't eaten in a long time. And he goes, Hey man, do you want some Skittles? Yeah. He goes, you, you got Skittles, man? Yeah, yeah, I want some Skittles. And he goes, I don't got any Skittles. Shut the <laughs> F up and get up, you know? <laughs> the guy was so, so sad, you know? And so we kind of say that from time to time when, when guys are having a rough time. and say, hey, hey, you want some Skittles, you know? Right. And uh, just I remind us. I don't have any. It'll be weak. <laughs> Hey, the, the best one with us is like, what? Hey, is that bothering you? And they're like, yeah, a little bit. I'm like, all right, I'm just going to keep doing it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Marcus does that as a parent. I do. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. That's a, that's a t- I don't know if I could do that. My, my daughter would lean back and just crack me in the face if I did that. To <laughs> oh, no, no, no. The, the, the daughter, she, I don't, that's the, the, I'm talking about the boys. The, you the do boy. too. Why <laughs> you do it to her? All right, there are some moments when I have to you stand tall. You totally do it to her. What? You made her run barefoot through a field at nighttime. Well, first of all, it's not a field. It's our yard. It's a field. All right, well, it's a big <laughs> it's yard. A legit it's a field. big yard. It depends on where you're from. If you're in the country, it's a yard because I mow it. And we were training for karate. All right, so, yeah. You're going to throw that on me like child abuse? It's like, literally, I'm the PE teacher. I'm just saying this- you make her get in uncomfortable situations. I do do that, yeah. That tubbins are up. Good. It does, That's yeah. I have to about, do that. I put her in uncomfortable situations that she'll encounter out there, and if she can do because I can take the pressure off. <laughs> and if she can handle what I'm throwing down, then she can handle it out there. Because we've yep. had to live through it. We've had to go through it, and I don't want her to, 
to ever look back and say, why didn't you teach me that? So I, I err on that side. I do do I love that. It. I love it. That's how we learn. We put ourselves voluntarily, deliberately in these uncomfortable situations so we can get out of our comfort zone and, and grow. I mean, it's like, how is it bad for me and for, for them? But you and I like signed up to do it. Not only did we sign up to do it, I had to go through hell just to get the advantage and the permission to do that kind of thing. Run barefooted in my uniform at night. You know, that, that, that's like special forces stuff. And then, yeah, you, then I, yeah. uh, on the pass down, I was like, oh, you can't be doing that. And I'm like, well, that's, well, what, that's what designed us. They're children. All right. There's that point. <laughs> I understand that. But they're... All right, I can't win this one. I understand. <laughs> you got to win the other with the kids. I get it. You're I get right, it. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. You, you know, right. you got a point. You got a point. I don't early, understand. You know? No, she does. I, well, because I, I know, like the Navy SEAL community, I don't understand with the Army how it works. Like, you go to Ranger Ranger School first, and then do you immediately go to Green Beret School? No, it's completely two different things. No, not not necessarily. So there are two different things. Um, the way that I kind of describe it, I guess, for, for people is we say, listen, if, you, if you're if you in the infantry, it's like kind of graduating from high school. If you go to ranger school, it's sort of like graduating from college. And if you go to Green Beret route, special forces, it's sort of like getting your master's degree. Um, and then your PhD would be like Delta Force, you know, something like that in the military terms. So rangers are guys that um, they're door kickers, you know, they're, they learn how to, to do advanced infantry tactics um, really, really well. Green Berets are guys that train indigenous forces to kick the doors down for us. And then we kind of fall in behind them. That's how I kind of simply describe it for folks. We know a couple of Green Berets, but I've never asked them that. No, that's, yeah. that's, how it is. That's, a, that's the simplest way to explain it. You can argue about the details all, all day, but yeah, rangers take down air stuff, airfields. Like you send them in, you need that done. Don't send us in. They're, each guy's are designed for a certain reason, and a ranger, a, a, a ranger, ranger will tell you straight up he's not SF. He's like, oh, ranger, you know, you can't. Mis there's no mistaking them at all. So that's Chad Fleming. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then you have SF guys right? who have who have gone who have a ranger qualification because being at battalion. This is getting deep deep now. Right. Yeah. I just don't understand it, but <laughs> yeah, that's it's, fine. Army's so damn complicated. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. It truly Ranger is, man. guys, you see yeah. them, they have, uh, you know, they'll have a high inside. They'll, they'll be clean shaven and, you know, they'll, they'll look the part. The SF guys, they have relaxed grooming standards. You know what I mean? Hair's maybe a little longer. You know, maybe they have a beard, you know, um, if they're in combat. And if they have their hands in their pockets, generally speaking, you're probably talking to a Green Beret guy. <laughs> so how would you compare? It's probably like, okay, think about it like this. In the Army, if you had a Marine Corps Special Forces unit, the, the, the equivalent, them. High and tight. I mean, Ranger regs. You know, you do that by the by the numbers. It's like if you want to look at what a soldier looks like when they go into combat and look good, they're kind of like them dudes. And then you got the SF, like us. Sideburns are long. You can't get them in the right damn uniform. You know, it's like the bastard kids. that they. they but out of our friends, is Chad a Ranger? Yes. Okay. I'm just trying to, I'm trying in my head. So there's more, you can ask that question okay. and say yes. And then there's more. That's the <laughs> thing about them is like, it's the most complicated. And that's how, you know, if you're talking to somebody who's been around, cause like, yeah. And then there's this, I'm like, that's true. There is that. There is that. Yeah. And yeah. There's, there's, always, there's, so there's so many, many exceptions to the there's rule so many exceptions to the rules. And Travis is that. a green beret. That you can't. Yes. Okay. But there's more. Okay. So, I mean, it's kind of okay. like, you know, they're, they're 
it's unbelievable. Okay. Uh, All right. Sorry. Go that's ahead. That's what I love about We're our trying to questions, and, and everyone no, wants great. to know. So that's, yeah. yeah, and I know great. a lot of our listeners don't under. You know, we've got a lot of civilian listeners. That's great because it's hard to explain. Yeah. Because if you you you, you try it just with me and you here, we don't cover down on everything. So there needs to be another guy on the other side. And he's like, well, now there's this because I'm a bastard too. I'm a SEAL, but I'm an 18 Delta Green Beret medic. That, that's how it works. That's how they connect us. There's no SEAL medics. There's well, only, only because 18 Delta is part of the Army school. The Army Green Beret pipeline. So there are no SEAL medics. That's not how it works. We're actually Green Beret medics. They get a, it's, <laughs> whoever designed it, when they got to that part, we must have been like, well, what do we do? I was like, well, let's just do this. And see what happens. And the 18 Delta. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? I'm like, dude, yeah. how could you put us together like that? Thank God they did, because those interrupts were like with sniper school and those follow ones. Putting us together like that is what connects us. And 18 Delta is at Fort Bragg. And at Bragg. Oh, yeah. Okay. In the heart of it, Vietnam, North. Dude, Vietnam. right there. <laughs> the guys that will save your life on the battlefield. You want to make sure that you're friends with your 18 Deltas. You know? Oh, man. Like you want to make sure that they're taken care of, because if you do get in trouble, they're the first person you're going to call. You know, and the greatest part about them, Tim, come over here. Yeah, the greatest part about the Deltas is that you don't recognize; they won't identify themselves because they don't like being that, right? Because they want to be the shooter or an echo, you know. Because in in it's different SF. Okay, sorry, I went down a wrong a rabbit hole of that. You're about to get me down one too. I just got Alphas, Bravos, Charlies. I didn't mean to do that. I just I wanted a clarification of Ranger versus Green Beret. But in order to be a Green Beret, you have to go to Ranger School first. No, you don't have no, to. No. Most people do, though. Okay. Yeah, okay, Most sorry. people do. Um, you know, you don't have to. You okay. know, like they, they started something called the 18 X-Ray Program a number of years ago, which instead of actually going into the Army first, now they're saying for people just off the street, like um, you can sign up for this 18 X-Ray Program and become a Green Beret and go through this pipeline. Of course, you have to prove it and earn your way there, but you don't have to serve in the regular army for a number of years before you have the opportunity to do that. Yeah. So um, did you deploy so, yeah, as a ranger? Yeah. People deploy as rangers, at, as Green Berets and, and, and as infantrymen and yeah, so forth. Yeah, I meant you. Like before you went to Green Beret school, did you go? Oh, no, no. Well, um, yeah, yeah, I guess I did. So I went to the initial invasion of Iraq as a ranger tabbed. Uh, first lieutenant, and then when I I um, we got back from the initial invasion, uh, I think we had like six months where we were training and doing things, and I decided to uh, submit my packet for um, special forces assessment and selection. And so then I went to the Q course at Fort Bragg. And once you get there, it's for for me. I was an 18 Alpha, which is an officer. It's basically a two and a half year pipeline where you're at Fort Bragg not deploying, just going through training, you know, in the woods and so forth. It's just like ours. Yeah. Al, when you hear the alpha, that's, a, that's an officer, right? And then they have to go through the same, it's a, it's same, but different kind of deal. Imagine brothers in a family that played two different sports. Right. Okay. Yeah. I got that's that. a good way to look at it. Let's get, we'll get back to your story. Sorry. I totally interrupted because I wanted, I know I'm not the only one with that question. Um, so. It took no, me so forty something okay. years to figure just just that out when I explained. <laughs> so don't worry if yeah. you can't figure it out. I mean that's, that's, right. that's a thing. 
It's yeah, to throw so the enemy off. off. Where do we live off? So you were um, in, you liked ranger school, which Marcus found that hard to believe, but you enjoyed ranger school. I did. It was hard, but I, I liked it because of the people there and it, it was, um, it was just a better experience. I mean, it's tough. I lost 26 pounds or something and, you know, but I went all the way through. I didn't recycle, which is not going to be lucky, you know, because most people do recycle a couple of times. Um, but I was lucky there and, you know, I, I generally looking back on things, I, I enjoyed it. It was it was fun. Because you know they send cool. our officers there when they you can volunteer, but if you screw up, you get sent there. I heard that. Yeah, I they discipline that. our yeah. officers there. Most people don't know that. Most civilians don't know. Like, what happens if you get out of line as a seal? Let's send your ass to the army. <laughs> I heard one time I heard a horror story from a. There was a Navy SEAL that that went to the Naval Academy. He was enlisted and went to the Naval Academy and. I guess he got so out of shape at the Naval Academy. One of his instructors was like, you're an embarrassment. You know, you need to go back to Bud's. So he set his ass back to Bud's as a, as a midshipman, oh having already earned his trident, as the story I heard. What? That's probably true. That's, That's awesome, crazy. by the way. I'm going to look. Yeah. I'm going to make a phone call on that yeah. right I away. Yeah, I want to know who that is. <laughs> and he passed again. That's just yeah, a rumor. Right? Again. I, I, just for whatever reason, it came to my mind. But that would be ridiculous that would be that would be hard to swallow that one yeah i've heard there, i've heard of two different guys that they got into the into the teams did something lost their trident and they said well you can get it back if you go back through buds sqt like the whole pipeline again and they did it oh my gosh yep. That's yeah, commitment. And, one, and one of them made it back one of them made it back that's good we actually have a friend i wouldn't have done that, that for the record <laughs> you know what I'm, about? I'm like dude are you kidding me <laughs> that went to West Point, became a ranger, and then ended up getting into the SEAL teams, and now he's in the FBI. I'm like, you yeah. have checked off oh, no, no, every no. cool so You can't job. even talk about this dude. He's like one of, he's been in every mission, every invasion. We can't say his name. But. I mean, he's the <laughs> Even the missions he did in the FBI are unbelievable, right? I know, right? they're I'm really like, cool. Like, oh, yeah. bro, he's like one of those, when you look at him... You think he's a banker. Perfect hair, you know, yeah. that, that jawline, like real smart, <laughs> articulate. Everyone likes him. Even the guy, if, if you know, that kind of dude. He's so sweet, too. And he's not, I'm going to say he that online. He's sweet. But I mean, he's, he's like a, a sweet whatever. guy. Whatever. He's, he's straight up badass. And yeah, that, so he exists. Yeah. <laughs> I like, like like that. What's that guy's name? John Kim, who was. Uh, yes. John Kim, name? yeah. He's yeah. a Navy SEAL. Um, Harvard business guy. He got his doc. He's a doctor, medical doctor. Yep. And he and did now something else. Now he's, he's an, an astronaut. astronaut. Yeah. Astronaut. Yeah. Something like that. And then yeah. overachieving nexuses. So I, listen to this. I was in first phase at SEAL training and buds, and we were they we had a, they had us by the pool deck on the grinder like four in the morning. And they were freezing to death, and we were sitting in our boat cruise and and uh, laying down beside each other. And the guy next to me, big dude. I mean, big guy. The instructors walk over and they're like, hey, he's like, we heard you were a Green Beret. He's like, yeah, who ya? And like, an 18 Delta Green Beret for that matter. And then they okay. go, and then he goes, and you were Force Recon Marine. He's like, yeah. He's like, what in the hell are you doing here? He's like, oh, I thought I'd take a break. That's what this <laughs> dude said. <laughs> Bro, this, this was first wow. phase in SEAL training. This is what this joker said while I was laying right there. 
And I, I couldn't believe it. He used to hug me like his woman, like to get warm. That's how, like, I would have to sit in front. It's the funniest thing. <laughs> I mean, this guy should have, he, he swung an axe through time at people's head. Those, those guys, you know, we have them, right? The ones that you're like, you break out in case of war. Otherwise, just leave him alone, stay out of his way. And he, yeah. he watched out for me through SEAL training, but I, I'll never forget him saying that. I mm-hmm. thought I might have been in the wrong class. <laughs> in the wrong, because I was like, wow. That's funny. So we have yeah, warriors so in this country yeah, that can do that. I don't know this guy. I'm not associated with him in any way. <laughs> don't no. punish me for, I don't know, you know. Yeah, that's so Dude, funny. Dude, he was the man. He was awesome. That's pretty cool. Okay. That's pretty cool. All right, let's hear, uh, we want to hear more about you. I'm sorry, okay, man. I'll ask um, questions all day. <laughs> yeah, so, okay, so um, went to Special Forces Selection, you know, did that, uh I thought the training was amazing. Again, like being around some amazing leaders and learning so much and, and uh, was uh, sent to 10 special forces group at Fort Carson, Colorado. Uh, was there for just a month or two before um, we deployed. And so I was a detachment commander, took a team over to Iraq for the second time. And uh, we were over in uh, Asadia Jalula, which is just kind of Northeast of Baghdad. What, what year was that? 2007. Oh, check. Yeah, I was, I was in Ramadi. And, uh, oh, yeah, you were in Ramadi. So, yep. yeah, we're we're fairly close there. Um, my my situation was weird because the battalion was taking, I think, fifteen teams, and because I had just got there just a month or so beforehand, they told me they're like, Jason, you know, your team is number sixteen on the list. You guys aren't deploying, and uh, you know. I was brand new captain there and I went back to my team and I told the guys, this is the situation. And they were like, Oh, hell no. You know, if you're worth a damn as a captain, you're going to go back up there and you're going to convince the battalion commander to take us. Cause we're not going to be sitting on the sidelines, you know? And so I was like, okay. You know, and I was all nervous. What am I going to say? And somehow I convinced the battalion commander to take us, you know? And uh, he said, well, I don't know where, where to send you guys pick a spot to go and, and figure it out. So we we did some research and we found out that there was a place that coalition forces hadn't been in in maybe three years up in this Asadia Jalula area. And we had no idea, no reporting from this area, no idea what was going on. And uh, we got up there and found out it was completely saturated with Al-Qaeda. And on the second day there, um, my, uh, my team hit an IED and two of my guys went home on the second day. Uh, Neither of them were were killed or anything, but they were they were hurt pretty significantly, and we knew it was sort of game on. And um, you know that that whole time there, I was attached to, a, to another company, and and it was uh, it was like the wild west, you know, like every day we're going on mission, you know, getting a firefight, an IED, something going on, and uh, that was a rough deployment. You know, I had uh, my team sergeant got shot, he got sent home. My 18 Charlie was my uh, my engineer. He got shot in the head and died in my arms. That was a rough one. That was a rough one. But we did a lot of good over there. We liberated a number of towns, and uh, we caught, captured, or killed uh, you know a lot of high value targets and and bad dudes. You know, we got back to the states, had another six months off, maybe just four months off, probably four months off, and then we went back to Iraq again. This time, I went to Nazaria down south, and that was a pretty uh, quiet deployment compared to the last one, you know, more of going after precision targets, that sort of thing. Um, 
you know, uh, we lived on a, on a base where the, the ancient city of Ur was located. Oh, cool. So the, the ziggurat of Ur where Abraham was born was like, right. Did you go, did compound. you go up there? Hell yeah, we did, man. All right, we all went right, up right. all the time. All right, cool. We went, was, 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 right, good, we went treasure hunting. Yeah, man. exactly. That's what I want to ask. All right, man. Did you go digging in there? Come on. <laughs> we dug up. I got some cool artifacts that I, I found there. Um, it's cool. Just cool, man. That's yeah. about as old as it gets back there, man. Yeah. That's cool. So that was my deployments. Uh, you know, uh, kind of weird for me. I went on a JSET, a Joint Combined Exchange Training, to Mali, Africa. And um, we were training Touareg rebels. Or I'm sorry, we were training uh, Echelon Tactique Inter-Army Soldiers, or the, 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 the army there in Mali, to um, fight against Touareg rebels that were coming down from the, uh, from the Sahara up north. And these, these rebels were, you know, Muslim extremists, and they were destroying towns and raping women and killing kids and the whole thing. And, and while we were doing this, I, uh, our team was warned. They're like, hey, guys, there's some crazy diseases in, in, in Mali. Be careful. The last team had two guys that got spinal meningitis and had to be medevaced out. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you know, about so that. we're like, oh, my gosh. Like, you know, don't drink the water. You'll get river blindness. Parasites will, you know, go into your eyeballs and eat your. Oh, my God. Eat your eyes out. I hey mean, you, you got to be see. tough to live over there. That's terrible. It's crazy. I mean, like, some of the stuff that jumps on you when they like, even tell you about it, like, man, why would he even go over there? <laughs> like, what, what's going on? Like, I, I, I don't want to mess with. So, <laughs> what? Anyway, so we were over there, and um, I got I got sick, really sick. One one night, we we're on we're, we had a patrol base out in the woods with um, these Etia Echelon Tactique Inter Army guys, and and we were embedded with this local tribe. I mean, wearing loincloths and they had spears and the whole thing it was crazy. I got really sick one night and I thought, ah, oh, I just ate something bad or whatever. And I started getting delirious and my, my 18 Delta, my medic was like, you know, Jay, I, this doesn't look good, man. I'm worried, you know, what's going on with all this stuff over here. Uh, I want to see if we can get you out of here. And so they took me back to the embassy. And um, what happened was I, I somehow came down with a seizure disorder. And so I started having tonic-clonic seizures, epilepsy. Wait, you just randomly and, came down with that? I, I got it, yeah. I, I came back to the States, and uh, I, I'd start having these seizures. That's a thing? Shaking and falling <laughs> and biting my tongue oh, and that's memory crazy. loss and the whole thing. And, and, my, and my, my guys, my, my unit, they were like, dude, we, we don't want to lose you. You know, we want to make sure we'll keep this under wraps and try to see if we can take care of you, go to a neurologist. And um, – over over the past few years like it just um and there was no rhyme or reason to it it would just sort of happen and they're like were well, you stressed out or you, it's like i don't know and uh finally i got kind of promoted to um you know as you do as an officer to st a staff position and my first day on the job in my staff position i had uh a seizure at work in front of everybody you know and and and, and my boss was like dude what's going on with you man and I told them what was going on. They're like, well, you know, you can't shoot. You can't jump out of an airplane. You know, you can't deploy. And she's like, hell, man, you, you can't even drive officially. And so um, they're like, we just want to get you fixed. And so for the next year or so, I went to, you know, uh, top neurologists in Denver and North Carolina, Duke, you know, and so forth. And, and finally, they're like, Jason, you know, we don't know what's up, but what we can do is this. We can give you this medicine and hopefully it helps, or we can have you come in and induce a seizure 
have these electrodes on your on your skull and we'll we'll know exactly where the seizure is occurring in your brain. I'm like, okay. And they're like, well then we're gonna we're gonna go in there and we're gonna cut out that part of your brain that's causing the seizure. I'm like, huh. I'm like, well, that seems pretty drastic. Will that affect me in any way? They're like, well, it, it might turn you into a vegetable. Um, I'm like, well, would it cure the seizures? Is that the we up, don't know. At least you it won't have the seizures? seizures. Is that like that's supposed to be the upside of that? No. no. I'm like, okay, well, I think the decision is pretty clear here. Uh, I'm just going to continue taking the medicine and hopefully things will work out. And so I did that and they gave me a medical retirement at uh, a little over 14 years. And, uh, and I said to myself, now what, what am I going to do with myself? And I looked around and my buddies, um, not all of them, but a lot of them had, had started their own businesses and doing different things in different industries. And I remember my mother told me, she said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future when, when I was younger. And uh, I was looking at my friends and I thought I could start a business too. And so I started, you know, kind of cliche about that. I thought to myself at the time, I'm passionate and knowledgeable about leadership. I'll, I'll start a leadership development company. And so I started that up and uh, just out of sheer force of will and determination and and so forth, uh, we've been able to become fairly successful uh, so far. Oh my gosh, that is crazy. Yeah, weird, weird. Everyone's got a story. It's, I didn't think that was going to be my story, but but it is, you know. It's, it's it's amazing how it what, what it takes to generate some of us out of that lifestyle because when, when we get in it we get consumed by it and then yeah. when you hear those guys that have to have to really go through those ringers just to for them to propagate out and and, and start that new career it's something I mean what and it's kind of a repetitive thing on here it's just said different ways when when, when you it's one of them deals where like man I don't have anything else to do. Or I had to go this direction. Is that same thing that drove you to go in? Is the same thing that driving you now, or was it different? No, I think you know when I first joined the military, and I, and I, my purpose, or I guess my what was driving my my, my motivation, my inspiration was um, to collect as many stories as I possibly can. Uh, when I was really young, I remember sitting around kind of a Christmas table, and my dad, and my uncles were all telling these hilarious stories and. You know, everybody was laughing and I just wanted to contribute. You know, I wanted to be a part of that, but I had nothing to say. I had nothing to share, you know, at a young age. And I just kind of sat back and I thought to myself, you know, one day, you know, one day I'm going to have more stories than all you guys, you know? (laughs) And so I sort of lived my life um, under that decision-making sort of um, uh, ideology, meaning, you know, when I was presented an opportunity, I would say to myself, could this be a good story? And if it turned out that it would be, then I would say yes to that. And as I got older and I matured and so forth, I realized, like we talked about earlier, it's, it's not about stories. It's about people and the journey that you take with those people. And so my, my mindset shifted from sort of being selfish, you know, about collecting these stories to being selfless to caring about, you know, the people that I'm here with, my men and so forth. So just like we, we learn in the military, it's about, you know, the mission then the team, then the teammates, and then finally all the way at the bottom yourself. 
And so as I kind of matured, I kind of learned that. And now I kind of feel the same way. It's all about finding your purpose. And in the military, you know, you have a purpose and you have a community. And when you get out, it's kind of hard to find that purpose again and that community again. Um, you know, and, and that's partly why I created this leadership development company is because I want to help people. I want to make money. And I, I want to do epic shit. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what Mission Six Zero is all about. And as a result of our success there, I created a nonprofit called Warrior Rising. And we help veterans um, start their own businesses. You know, and we've been pretty successful there as well. And helping them find their purpose in the community again through business ownership. So where were you at when you came out? Because I, I, I kind of tell the guys, I'm like, hey, man, for every 10 you're in, it's two to detox. And then yeah. it, it, to, to kind of come back around and, and reintegrate into your new platoon or squadron. And that's our families and, the, and our towns and, and the people around us. And some of the guys will say, hey, look, man, there's no job description for a sniper out there. I'm like, no, yeah. not for the sniper job title, but everything that goes into making up a sniper. Yes. Uh, up into the trigger pool. From, I mean, all those those characteristics, man, make an, an exceptional businessman. Oh, well, hell yeah. Well, hell yeah. And all I, those, you know, it's, everything it's like, we learned, right, all the skills. Yeah, everything. I mean, people ask about our stories because it was kind of the same way in my family. It's like, hey, don't worry about the money. You go out and make a million memories, save a dollar from each, and then we'll come back and live them out. And, and bro, I kind of grew up the same way. I, when I would come home and my uncles would be home with my father sitting around the table and the stories they would tell, you just... It didn't matter what it was. You're just so enamored by it. They're like, I want to go out and, and, and make those two so I can come back and sit at the table, have, have, yeah. a, pla- have a place at the table. Exactly. Then, then you get to that point to where you, you know, when, when the teacher's ready, the student will appear. So then everyone, you know, that comes to that point to when you're trying to pass it back down. What, when was that for you? You know, I always want to say that I'm a lifelong student, you know, I'm always wearing my white belt, so to speak. But um, when I became the teacher, you know, you don't want to put the car before the horse, but I think on the Van Camp family crest, there's there actually is a cart before a horse. You know, it's sort of how <laughs> I've just lived my life. So when I feel I actually knew that, that's why excited, I asked that. <laughs> I'm passionate, excited about sharing what I've learned with other people. That's that's the best time to be a teacher. You know, when when guys get out of the military, guys and girls, and they ask themselves the same question we all ask, now what? I, I feel like either you know, you, you get a job, you start a business, or you get some, some kind of professional help. You're dealing with something mentally, post-traumatic stress, or what have you. You need to go get some help. And I agree with you that for a lot of people, take that time to detox and go do something. Go travel the world. Go whatever. Do not sit at home and just play video games. You know, like go do something, whatever mm-hmm. it might be. Learn something. And maybe you're not making the money that you want to at first, but at least you're enjoying yourself and learning something new and new skill set and kind of developing that uh, post-military mindset, which you, which you need to have, you know, for, for people that say, you know, I want to create something. I want to help other people and I want to make money doing it. You know, I say business is a great way to do that, you know, and, and, and I've been successful starting to know my business and I want other people to kind of feel that same, Uh, joy as well in starting their own businesses.
tell us about your business and like how people can um, interact with you or um, how can people help you with your business? Yeah, I'll tell you guys. So I got two things going on. Like I said, Mission Six Zero and Warrior Rising. I'll talk about Warrior Rising first. Um, it's uh, it's a five hundred one c three. It's a it's a veteran service organization, a nonprofit, and uh, we love to partner with other nonprofits. You know, like a lot of times in the military, you know, well at least when you get out, you think to yourself, everybody's my competitor. Mm-hmm. That's not a good way to look at things. Like everybody could be a collaborator. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So cooperate and graduate is sort of how I, I look at it. Like if we're all helping veterans, that's fantastic. Let's do it together. Yeah. And so um, the way that I do it is um, in the most altruistic way I know how we help veterans help themselves find their purpose and community again through business ownership. And so we started this in 2015 and now in 2020, we've uh, we've helped, I think close to 6,000 veterans start their own businesses over 1500 in 2020 alone. Uh, we've raised uh, close to a million dollars last year alone. Wow! So we're not a huge nonprofit, but um, we give 82.4% of every dollar earned back to the veteran. We have a uh, five person staff, uh, administrative staff right now. And I'm just so proud of what we do. You know, we help veterans um, when they have a business idea, they come to us and we have an intake call. So we have a, a one-on-one call with them. Somebody on my team, a specialist has been trained to, uh, to talk to that veteran about their business idea, whether or not it's a good idea, whether or not they have the, the, the time or the financial bandwidth to do this, whether or not their spouse is supportive of this, um, you know, and, and whether or not it's a good or bad idea, we, we let them know very bluntly, like, this is how we feel. Mm-hmm. If they want to continue with their business creation, we let them into our, our Warrior Academy, which is an online training platform, translates the military decision-making process into a business model. A 40 video curriculum. You're on your own to go through that. It's sort of like a ranger school in a way where you have to prove yourself, prove to yourself and to us that you, uh, you're willing to do the work. You know, it's hard. There's some homework involved and so forth. And when you come out the other end of it, you should have the makings of a business model. And if you do, we kind of uh, put you, uh, send you along further in our pipeline and, and you go into the next phase, which is mentorship. So we'll give you a one-on-one mentor, and you and the mentor together create a go-to-market strategy. And then the next phase is you uh, apply for a grant from Warrior Rising, or we give you an investment opportunity. So we introduce you to someone who will give you an investment of some sort, and you negotiate that with the investor. And then our final phase is community. So prior to COVID, we had 19 locations across the country uh, where we would have you know monthly events, lunches, dinners, go to the, go to the range or or what have you, and we'll bring in, you know, our, our mentors and and uh, talk to you about your businesses. You know, since COVID, we tried to start doing this online and it just didn't really work. The last thing you want to do after a long day is jump on another, you know, Zoom conference call. Yeah. So, um, so our platoons, our chapters are sort of defunct right now until we can get uh, COVID resolved and then we'll get that going again. Yeah, man, don't look at it like that. I looked at COVID like a deployment. <laughs> yeah. And I, I was telling everybody that, man, it's just that they were just locking us down. Before all this happened, I would hear people talk about, like, if I could just sit at home on my computer, I'd be with my kids, everything would be fine, I'd square it away. Boom, get locked down. What do you want? You hate it. Everyone <laughs> hates it, right? <laughs> so, we loved it. Yeah. Oh, my, it was our favorite year ever. It, it's the, the, that's the difference in our, in our communities and our generation. It's like when we come out, we're actually looking not only to better ourselves, but to better 
with a team, team environment. Like I want to make yeah. your life so good because I want to come hang out in it sometimes. I like I like to live in it because of the way you you enjoy things and the way you see things, yeah. as opposed to coming in there to take everything you got and work your to death so I can go enjoy mine. That's not how it works with us, and that's the hardest part for some of us to when we come out. We're like, I'm not used to this. People trying to, I mean, yeah, I'm used to getting beat in the face, but not. It's usually for a purpose, <laughs> not somebody else's gain by themselves. And with us, we come out there, and when you when you show that, we're like, "Hey, look, man, we're gonna put it out together, and we're gonna grow this so fast, so and, and with so much strength that you can't pull it down." And that's how we operate because that's how we had to live. I mean, they threw us in a twenty-year war with an enemy with no face. <laughs> we're, we're all we had. You know what I mean? They created something completely different. So when you're coming out, those the, everything that you learn. It resonates with everybody in our generation because you couldn't have guys like us unless everyone was like that. They 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 just wouldn't they just wouldn't have us modeled out of something else. It's generational. That's why we're we are the way we are. Determined, resourceful, loyal, loyal to each other, and then you know, opportunistic. To a I fault. Think. To a damn fault, man. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, I agree. You know, even when I when I lived in Russia, the, the economy crashed in 1997. You know, and, and, I, and people were literally on the streets standing in front of banks that were now absolutely flat broke. You know what I mean? And I saw so many people just stand around looking for someone else to save them. What should we do? And, and I saw other people that were just hustling, just hustling, coming up with ideas on the streets, developing businesses, doing things, hustling their asses off. And after about a year, those people that were hustling became the, the the new mafia, the new rich. Right, yep, correct. Yep. And they were just crushing it, had more money than they knew what to do with. Yep. And the people that just sat around and did nothing, did nothing. They still had nothing. And so when COVID hit, I kind of remembered that experience in Russia. And I said, this hustle, man, you know, for, for Mission Zig Zero, we can no longer do in-person events. We can't do keynote, you know, presentations. We can't do team building. We can't do any of this stuff. Let's go virtual. And so we did. You know, we developed a master class that we're, we're offering. We have a challenge right now. We just launched our first class yesterday. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, uh, where, you know, uh, with our model, mental, physical, spiritual, social, emotional, professional, we say mentally, you got to read a book a week. Physically, we'll give you a, a workout program for 60 minutes at the gym, 60 minutes for cardio in the same day, and a nutrition plan. And if you want to upgrade, we can have meals delivered to your house, you know, spiritually, you know, we want you to listen to these mindfulness uh, exercises that that uh, John McCaskill, who's a Navy SEAL, he, he created every day to practice mindfulness. Uh, socially, we want you to reconnect with somebody, uh, a friend, a family member, a past friend, somebody you've had a falling out with and have a meaningful conversation with them every day. Emotionally, we want you to write a page in a gratitude journal every day. And then professionally, we have a master class and you watch a video every day and then you post about it. You know, um, so we had uh, 200 people sign up for the first class. And and after day one, we have uh, 196 people left. So uh, we're doing that right now. Just an idea that we had. It's, it's going pretty well. We're excited about it. It's awesome. That's, right? a, that's a day in our life. I mean, what you just. That's every day for you guys. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's like a day. Like, you go down the end, the after, the after action at the end of it. That's The that's... book a week. My great grandmother was the town librarian. And she read a book a week her entire 
life until she died at 94. Hmm. And um, her kids and her grandkids all did the same. Uh, Like my dad pretty much reads a book a week. Yeah, my mom brings five books a week, (laughs) like at the same time. It's the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen. Uh, I didn't get that gift. No, No, but I think that is something that a lot of people don't realize the importance of it or the benefit of it, but it really does sharpen your mind and you don't realize how much you learn, even if it's a fictional story, just everything from vocabulary to just keeping your mind sharp. Um, that's I, I'm glad that you teach that because that is a really good thing. We, we got so many, like for me, I've got so many books just stacked up on my, my nightstand. You know, and, and life gets away from you from time to time. And you you think to yourself, I, ah, I should read that book. I need to read that book. I need to do this. I need to do that. And uh, you just need a kick in the pants every now and again. So you need, and, and for us, it's you need a team to help you that you are committed to, you know, and you say, just like we did, we were on, you know, our military teams, right? Like, I'm not going to let you down because I know sure as hell that you're not going to let me down. And so if you're counting on me to do this, I'm going to do it. You know, and that's what you need sometimes. Yeah. The best way I can relate it to get guys to do it, it was, it was when we were in the platoon space and everyone would, if you were in the new guy and everyone was reciting the movie quotes that were funny and you didn't know them, then your ass went in there and watched the movie until yeah. you, you know, until you got it down, right? And that way, when you came back out, when they were talking about it, you're like, oh, now I get it. Is that an army thing too? Because every Navy SEAL speaks in movie quote language. Oh, it's certainly. Yeah, it's universal. That's actually our universal language. If you're if you're in a in an alternate branch, you if you speak that, you're fine. Marcus speaks to me in movie quotes, and I don't. Well, no, sometimes see- people get scared and leave because you know the movie quote is yeah, it's terrifying, but it's supposed to be funny at the time. And uh, I'll yeah, see the like- movie fifteen <laughs> freaking times, and I still it might be one of my favorite movies, and I still. Which movie is your favorite? I mean, I Lonesome Dove is my all-time favorite. But so for like married. comedies, I love like Wedding Crashers and The Proposal and stuff like that. The New like Vacation. That. Oh my gosh. We're the Millers. We're the Millers. Uh, that kind of stuff just no. makes me laugh so hard. No regrets, huh? Not, no. not regrets. No. no. Not a one. Not a, not a letter. Not, not a, a single letter. Nah, man. So right, yeah. So when you like yesterday my brother we had the kids out, and they had the little four-wheelers and motorcycles, and my brother takes off on one of those little track bikes. I mean, it's a little 50, and he flips it. We, none of, nobody saw it, bro. But then he comes back up, and he's like, my arm's broke. And, and, and right in the middle of, of knocking all the dust out, he, he leans over. He's like, oh, I fucking hate making movies. You know, that, just a complete out of, out of <laughs> left-field Tropic Thunder Jack Black line, dude. And I was like, yes, dude. <laughs> and it, it brought levity to the whole mo- – so you knew exactly what he was going through, right? Because you understand that pain from – and that's why our actors are so great. But, yeah, we do that. It's a thing. Yeah, man, Tropic Thunder. People ask me sometimes, what's, what's the best – what's the most accurate war movie ever made? I'm like, uh, it's a good question. Tropic Thunder. Tropic Thunder. <laughs> Tropic Thunder. I always have to say yeah. that. <laughs> um, what can you tell us a couple of the businesses that you've um, helped people start? Oh, for sure. You know, I could go all day, um, but there's two that I I, I really am proud of. Uh, one is uh, from a guy in North Carolina. His name is Justin Clapsaddle, and he came to me. He was actually. Um, West Point plebe, a freshman with me, and he got out. Um, he didn't stay at West Point, and we kind of kept in touch. And he uh, came to me. He's like, Jason, I um, 
I'm trying to start a business. And I was like, well, I'd love to help you, brother. And he said, you know, I, I just learned how to, to make knives. I know how to, to grind and, you know, on, I want to turn this into a business. And I was like, well, that's great, man. Um, what makes you so special? He's like, well, what do you mean? I was like, well, everybody needs a story, you know, and in business, the best story wins, you know, he's like, well, you know, sort of, he's definitely a country guy. He's like, well, man, I just want to make knives. <laughs> I'm like, well, let me see if I can help you out. And so uh, I kind of remembered that, you know, my vehicle was destroyed in Iraq and, and they, they brought the vehicle back and it was just kind of doing nothing, right? Sitting there. And, and I thought, what if we took metal from that vehicle and I gave it to Justin and he could make some knives out of it? It would be knives essentially with a story, you know? And I, and I said, Justin, what if we took the metal from this vehicle that was destroyed in combat? What if we took metal from people that were injured in combat, essentially the shrapnel, um, out of out of their bodies you know and and uh, you turned it into a knife you know it had, it had a purpose again and you repurposed this metal into into something powerful a symbol you know and and you can call it war metal knives and he loved the idea and and uh we went looking for metal from vehicles that were destroyed in combat not just from you know iraq and afghanistan but you know vietnam and world war ii sure, and so yeah, forth and and uh, we found some i found actually a a, a tank that was in the Battle of the Bulge. Oh my gosh. And I got some metal from that tank and I gave it to Justin. And uh, he found a Jeep from World War II. He made some metal out of it. And uh, I remember talking to a guy that's like, you know, I, I'll pay anything for a World War II Battle of the Bulge knife. My my grandfather uh, fought in the Battle of the Bulge and he was in a tank, you know, and and uh, when I get this knife now, I show it to everybody that, that walks in my house and I tell them my grandfather's story. And it's a family heirloom and, and my grandfather's story and his legacy and his life it will never die because we'll always have this knife and we'll always be able to tell that story. And I, I just thought that was powerful. And I was like, man, you got something strong here, Justin. And uh, we've given him a lot of money and a lot of mentorship. And he's just such a great guy. I'm just so proud of him. Um, another story, it's a little unique. I was uh, at in Palm Springs at tradition golf course with a, a gentleman named Mike moon. And he's a billionaire. He sold uh Behringer wines, you know, in the late nineties guys got he's crazy money, you know, and everything. And I'm terrible at golf and we're playing golf. And obviously we started up a conversation and, and uh, he's like, you know, Jason, you know, uh, I've made a ton of money and I have no desire whatsoever to start up any new businesses, but I get ideas from time to time. I'm a business guy, you know, I'm an innovator. I've got a creative mind. And so when I have some of these ideas, I'm just going to give them to you and you find a veteran to give, give those ideas to. And I was like, okay, Mike, sure thing. You know, what, what ideas you got? You know, he's like, well, Jason, I am so sick of watching, watching people, burn the flag on TV. I'm just sick of it. I, I want to create a fireproof US flag. And I was like, okay, Mike, what do you, what do you got in mind? He's like, we'll give that idea to a veteran. I'll fund it. I'll find out how we can turn that into a real business and I'll find out how we can make the material and everything else. And so over the course of the last three years, uh, Mike and, and Kyle Daniels, who I introduced him to a green beret that I served with, they've created a firebrand flag company and they've partnered with a, a second uh, largest flag manufacturer in the world, Colonial Flag, and uh, and they're making these these flags, That's you know. Awesome. And, I, and I got some prototypes, um, or at least I did before I gave them away at my house, and they don't burn, and it's pretty cool, oh, you know. Wow. And uh, and uh, I think they're going to do really well come 
Memorial Day and Fourth of July and so forth in 2021 selling these flags because they're they're fireproof. It's pretty That's cool. Really cool. I got one for you. You ready? <laughs> Marcus always has me. ideas. All right. So <laughs> we we take those battle the the metal from the the tanks and everything like that. We make blades out of them and, and pistols out of them. And does anybody make pitchforks and shovels and like gardening tools? Because I mean, I spend more money on that stuff. Like everyday stuff. Like everyday kind of machinery stuff. I mean, and and molding that that's that's how you remember it because I use that all the time. I mean, up to my chainsaws and all the way down. But my my. My weapons are vaulted up now. I don't. I don't get a chance to use them. It's almost like novelty. Yeah, yeah. So, but if I had something that history in my hand while I was out working in the yard or, or on my mower or doing something like that, does anybody do that? No, I'm not. That's a great idea. Probably that's a great because idea. it's I'll, too. I've never heard is it too expensive? Before, but something to keep you. I don't know, man. Because mind it every single day. Yeah, because our stuff I mean? gets blown up all the time. And with guys, it's personal. So, like, if you had something. Like our pistols and our weapons, when we get around the families, they got to be vaulted up. But like, if I had something to remember that every day with my tool, my everyday tools, like my like your screwdrivers that we can't find. Yes, <laughs> yes. Okay, so my father put the tool curse on me. All my tools come up missing. He, he, I was standing there when he put it on me. I, I, I like heard it, so it's a real thing. But, uh, it's crazy. But like with everything else, with the gardening and the ranch, especially on the ranch and everyday tools from what we do, um, man, We're that would be farmers out that's here. metal. That's that's that hardcore metal. <laughs> let's do it. Let's uh, let's partner together and talk to Justin. See if we can get some something going here. Yeah, I, I thought about that culturally, man. That'd be a cool idea. Yeah, that's a cool idea. It is a cool idea. Do you imagine having a tractor built out of a freaking Abram tank? Oh my god! Yeah. Something like that, you know, twist that around. Like, hey man, this used to be on the battlefield. Now we've turned it around to use it, so I can keep driving it. We are very sentimental, so anything with a story. I'm way nostalgic now yeah. that I got older, man. I, big time. We we're super, yeah, super yeah. sentimental. So anything that has a story, we really love. Our whole house, everything in it. Yeah, everyone, the gifts that we has get a it has a meaning behind it, mm -hmm. and it could be. Yes. And the reason yes. I don't worry, I, we don't worry about anybody stealing it because it wouldn't mean anything to anybody else but us and the person that sent it. Yeah. And you look at it and you're like, well, that's the true treasure because of the story behind it. Exactly. That's, and that's why I would take that's why I would like, take care oh, of it. I got this, I got this at Target. Okay, well, who cares, right? Yeah. You get a house that has purpose and meaning behind it. I'm with you guys. Yeah. Totally agree with that. Awesome. Jason, we can't we can't finish this episode without you talking about your book a little bit. Can you tell us kind of yeah. all about all right, guys, that? So check it out. So I'm I'm really proud about this book. It's called Deliberate Discomfort. You can see it behind me too, but here it is right here. And um Published this book in February, uh, turned into, it's just an Amazon bestseller, but that that's great. You know, we've got um, almost five-star reviews out of over, I guess, close to 250, maybe even, even more. I haven't looked at it in a little while. Reviews, and I'm not talking about reviews just for my family and friends, but like real reviews. <laughs> people love it. It's helping people. And it's about Wait, I'm sorry, uh, man. I caught the ass into that, dude. That's funny. Accepting man. that deliberate discomfort mindset. <laughs> not having that discomfort that, um, that feeling forced upon you. It's about voluntarily, intentionally, deliberately choosing hard things before hard things choose you. You know, uh, it's 12 chapters. It kind of uh, talks about my experience um, going to be a Green Beret for the first time, you know, walking into my company commander's office, getting his leadership philosophy in brief, you know, learning about what this unit is all about, and then speaking to a number of people uh, in my in my company in my battalion about 
having that deliberate discomfort mindset and how I need to adopt that as a leader in order to be successful. So each chapter kind of focuses in on different veteran and their story. We have a scientist that translates that experience into relatable and digestible action items. They tell you a so what and a now what. And then I come back in at the end in that chapter and I give you a practical application. So how does this affect me in my day-to-day personally or professionally? And, um, you know, you can get it on Amazon or you can go to deliberatediscomfort.com and, and purchase a copy there as well. Awesome. It is. No, it's brilliant because, I mean, that, and that's, the, that's the, the big difference when we're coming up and you kind of forget that. You see a lot in prize fighters because there's a difference between those who, I came here for a fight. As opposed to sitting there going, oh, I was sitting here and a, and a fight showed up while I was waiting on one or if one just showed up to your door and you weren't expecting it, right? And with us, man, to teach that that mindset is like, yeah, no, I came here for one of those. It it it, uh, it truly changes everything. So thank you for doing that. Well, I appreciate you and appreciate you having me on, man. It's, it's an honor to, to tell you about my book and I'd love to send you guys one, you know, if, and read it, please. You yeah. know, tell me what you think, you know, and we'll go from there. We'll I'm gonna need a signature on on that. It was, it was the best wishes. Yeah. Speaking of sentimental, <laughs> we like our books signed. Devin, yeah. <laughs> no, I want that thing from me. I, I got a place it. I put them, man. There's a wall. Uh, there's the hero wall over there. I got that up there. Yeah. <laughs> well, put me underneath the hero wall of the. Of the yeah. That, the, hey, man, this is your classified briefing. We got a file on you and everything, brother. Welcome <laughs> to the freaking team. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I'm happy to be here. If there's anything I can do to reciprocate or help you guys out in any way, I'm, I'm here for you guys. Seriously, I am. Man. I, I'm a, I'm a giver, not a, not a taker. So whatever you need, don't hesitate to reach out, please. Well, Thank you for your service, brother. You. Yeah, man, absolutely. Tell us how, uh, if you mentioned how our listeners, man, how they can find you, where they need to track you down. Yeah. Do you have social media or anything? I do. I'm, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn and you can just find me at, uh, you know, just Jason Van Camp on LinkedIn um, I just kind of started my um, Instagram and, and, and Facebook and don't have a ton of followers there, but you can reach out to me there as well. Uh, my, my websites are mission60.com for leadership development. So we forge commanders at, at Mission 60. And you can spell that any, any way you want. We usually just M-I-S-S-I-O-N-S-I-X-Z-E-R-O.com. Or you can find me at warriorrising.org, you know, O-R-G to learn more about how we help veterans. Um, and if you're a veteran yourself that wants to start a business, come to us. We, we want to help you. We can help you. We do a great job of it. And um, let's see, deliberatediscomfort.com where you can find uh, the book and um, challenge.deliberatediscomfort.com. You can find out about our challenge. And I think those are the, uh, there's all the ways you can connect with me or find out about what we've got going on. Awesome. That's great. Yeah, I appreciate it, brother, man. We'll do Thank everything you. we can for you. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you listen to your podcast, you can find us there. And just thank you guys so much for supporting us every single week. We really appreciate it. Make sure to follow us on social media, teamneverquit.com slash social. We got new podcast gear, all kinds of other awesome merch in stock at shop.teamneverquit.com. If you like the episode, share it with a friend, leave us a review on iTunes. See you guys next week. <laughs>